three, two, one. Yeah. Hey, what's up, everybody? So, look, finally got my partner in crime back, and we got somebody super special here today. My lab manager, James Morandini. Everybody, please give James a hand. What's up? So, James uh, is a postdoctoral research fellow at University of Sydney, correct? That's right. Um, Actually, you know, let me just let me just get my notes out so I make sure I get it all right. Get it all right. Yeah, postdoctoral research fellow at University of Sydney. So, what you guys may not know is, uh, I met I met James through. So when I first got to Sydney, I was here. I was bored. Um, I didn't know what to do, and I literally just like I was like, you know what? I'm gonna try and re- like volunteer in some research labs. And so I sent out these I sent out these emails to University of New South Wales. Sent out emails to University of Sydney because I was doing a PhD in uh, psychology back in the states. Um, remotely and I'm like yeah we'll just see what happens and so I sent this email out I sent it to I, I might have been like six professors at University of Sydney I just went on the research tab and I was looking to see um, you know like which like which topics I was interested in and kind of which ones were kind of more aligned to kind of what I wanted to uh you just go after it huh you go yeah after it. exactly you want something you go after and so it. I was I appreciate like that. and so I was like all right like let's you know let's do it and I heard back, I, I was telling you guys this the other day, I heard back from he, uh, Ilana Jaraskova or, oh, yeah, or yeah, something yeah. like that, I think. Yep. She does some sex stuff as well. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, and I had, uh, I heard back from her and she was like, well, I, I got a few, I got a few emails back from some other professors and they were like, sorry, our lab's full or this and that. And I'm like, okay, all good. And I heard back from her and then uh, somehow it, Somehow it uh, came across Elon, yeah. and I think there, it's something like in my email I hadn't specified that I was a, that I was a PhD student. I said I was a student, so they were probably like writing me off like some scrub, like, "Oh, you just out here trying some to get random, a, like, you, you just out here, you just out here, yeah, just out here trying to get a bachelor. You better get out of my face with that." So <laughs> I'm like, "We don't need you in our lab." Uh, and so I, I heard back from Elon. And I think he told me, he was like, yeah, your email didn't say you were a PhD. And I was like, oh, shoot, my bad. Yeah, exactly. Underselling hard. Hot. Just just expected everyone to know. (laughs) (laughs) No one one tell you Marlon's in town now. (laughs) About my demeanor and my (laughs) sign-off. So uh, I heard back, and then Alana and I met one day, and we just absolutely hit it off. Like, we were talking about sports. We were talking about... We were talking about the military. I think he has some like some military background or something like that, and because he had some experience in the Israeli military, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Swapping notes there, and, and so we were talking about all that. that ain't and no I'm joke like, either. Israeli, hell no. Is that Krav Maga? That's that Krav Maga. Is that Krav Maga? The Massad. Yeah, the Massad. Yeah. They don't play no games out there. Mm. So I'm like, okay, cool. So he's like, yeah, you know, we, you know, we'd love to have you, and I can set you up with a meeting with the lab manager. And then I met with James and Elon, and I was like, okay, this is it. So I go into the office the first day. I kid you not. James was like, yeah, so what do you, he was like, so what do you want to do? And I'm like, I'd love to work on some projects, you know, top to bottom. I'd love, you know, start to finish, like whatever you want, like some analysis, some number crunching, whatever. He was like, okay, cool. Why don't you look at these pictures? I was like, okay. Opens up file, dicks. I'm like, oh, shit. Snap. 
You're in the right place. <laughs> just like out of nowhere. And he's like, okay, cool. Look at these dicks. You're elaborate. Okay. Straight off the street. <laughs> straight off the street. Oh, man, that's like, psychology right there. Look at these little <laughs> that's kids. Why, that's why I didn't trust these guys. Rape <laughs> these little right. girls. I was like, whoa, what? That's like 40 of them. Like, I'm no, like, judgment. no No judgment. Rape these little girls. Like, like little girls, little boys, like men, oh. women, writing these pictures for attractiveness. And then I was listening to Voices. I, uh, I now know the first two lines of the Australian National Anthem because I listened to it about 300. Do you, do you know? Do you know the National Anthem for Australia? Put me on the spot. Uh, yeah. The first, cause there's, but there's two verses, right? And everyone always just sings the, the first verse. Hold on. That, I think the first one is... Well, you said you know it. Let's hear it. I, I think uh, Australians all let us rejoice for we are... Wild and free. Close. <laughs> Very uh, close. For gold. I think, I think that's better than what for, than young and free. <laughs> wild and free. For golden soil and wealth for toil, yep. our home is girt by sea. Bam. Something like that. What yes. does that even mean? What does girt by sea mean? Someone told me it was girth. 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 As in girth. So as you bridge the uh, Someone I'm, I'm gonna get the wrong if I... in one of the voice recordings, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> well, those I, are the pictures Marlon was looking at. <laughs> that's how we rated them. I think, I, but but I knew because apparently it's all about the girth and not the length. You know from what I mean? What I hear, so from what, I'm, what, what I'm told, I knew the lines because I was actively listening to them. So I think I should get round of applause. Okay, I I, I learned it, and Alani Alani been here for 45 years. He don't even know it. Man, you you missed that button. When you, introduced, when you introduced James, I'm disappointed well, you didn't hit that. Oh, the first James time. Claps. Hello, everybody. Welcome, James. Yeah. Woo! Give it up, give it up, Thank give it up, give it up. Okay, so look. Anyway. See, this is how he goes. He usually claps himself. This is what Absolutely. This, he gets the applause all the time. This is what <laughs> Man, get used to it. So, James, okay, so like, like we were saying, so James is a, James is a postdoctoral research fellow. And again, they have welcomed me with open arms. And to think that a year ago, you know, I was jumping in the DMs, you know, trying to trying to get a spot in the research lab. And now I officially have a desk in go. the lab. Okay, there's yes, another clap there for me. Another clap for me. Another clap for me. A I desk. got a, yeah, I got a desk in the lab, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm official. I'm official. What uh, do you got on your desk? You got pictures? Or oh, I ain't got, got shit yet. Yeah, I got yeah, I got I got kind of start, you know, making it all homey yeah. and whatnot. You're a member of the Skid Lab. A member of the Skid Lab. Skid. Social cognition skid. and yeah. individual differences. Mm-hmm. Skid lab, yeah, I like it. Skid lab, rolls, you know what I mean? Rolls off the tongue. Um, yeah. So, James, all, you also do you also do clinical. That's right. Yeah, you, yeah. you also have a clinical practice, correct? Yeah. So I um, I trained at UCID where I did mm-hmm. my PhD, and at the time that I was training, they had this thing called the, the clinical doctorate, mm-hmm. which was this three year clinical psychology training program, which they've now got rid of. But yeah, so it allowed me to train to be a clinical psychologist, which right. has become useful now. Yeah, because academic work is. Sometimes a bit sketchy. Sometimes it's hard to get um, and maintain employment long term yeah. between contracts. Mm-hmm. So it's been quite useful to be able to do some of this clinical work in between as well. And now that's as of about a month ago. That's most of what I'm doing three days a week. Oh, so so you did yeah. up your days a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And about how many clients do you see? You think you see a day roughly about six patients? Six patients yeah. a day. Yeah, about six, six to seven on a okay. big day. And it's, if I'm correct, the uh, like in the states. And I, I'm pretty sure it's the same here as well. You have to get, like, you have to go down a specific, like, you have to get a specific, uh, I can't remember what the, what the word is, but there's a specific line of coursework and licensure in order to practice clinically. So, like, exactly. I'm just doing a PhD, yeah. so I'm research. But at Sydney, actually at Sydney, you have to do the master's in right. clinical, right, to yeah. be able to practice. That's right. So there's the PhD part, which is the research component. Right. 
but that doesn't qualify you to see patients. And so the training you get for that is a Master of Clinical Psychology. Yeah. Um, in the US, the minimum qualifications to be a clinical psychologist is a PhD as well. So you've got a PhD and you're a, you're a PsyD. Right. You've got a research doctorate plus you've got you know, five years of clinical training. Yeah. Uh, in Australia, we have much lower right. accreditation standards. So in Australia, you can be a registered psychologist without uh, even a postgrad degree. Right. Uh, increasingly, people are doing minimum masters. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, compared to the United States, we're. Um, oh, down. my goodness. Yeah. L- listen, listen, uh, can't, uh, go closer to the mic just so you, yeah. I think we're getting echo. There we go. Yeah. Um, just, ju- just to get just to give people some perspective in the U.S., Ph.D., four years minimum, five years with four year, three to four years of coursework. So you're going to school every single day, right? Sydney, three years, I'm doing independent research, my own schedule. Bro, I can, like, I can, I can travel, I can still do yep. less meals, I can still do, I mean, you know, at Sydney, I mean, I'm balling. I'm balling. <laughs> like, I'm balling. Clap it up. Clap it up for Australia because their education is amazing. It's a lot more expensive, but the Army's taking care of that. Uh, so I was, I was so it's flexible. Yeah, flexible, it's flexible, man. More. It's just, it is a, it is a dream. And the thing is, is I, I enjoy working fast, uh, you know, diligently, you know, obviously not high quality, but I enjoy working fast and I was really on the right track until James sabotaged my entire, uh, <laughs> sorry about uh, that. <laughs> I ain't up front, but it's going to be good long term. <laughs> exactly. Now yeah. he, he didn't, he didn't sabotage, but I, what I like about Elon and James and and Stefano, really everybody there is they always they they ask, they ask questions like, you know, in, in our in our work, people don't ask questions because they're afraid to ask questions and stuff just ends up. They, going want, they don't want to hear the answers. That's exactly, because nobody yeah. wants to hear the answer. Yeah. So the really cool thing about you know about work with them is, you throw it to the wolves, and sometimes <laughs> it comes back, and sometimes it doesn't, and it's like, well, yeah. you know, start over and do this, and you know, even yesterday I had this really good idea, and I was talking to James about it, and I was like, okay, cool, and I. Went to line, he was like, "Yeah, practically, that's a nightmare." And yeah. I was like, "Ah, you're right." So it's back to the drawing board. But yeah. I, I, I do enjoy it because it's uh, they make y'all like y'all, y'all really make me up my game, you know. So that's a. Uh, I reckon that is maybe a bit unique to academia. You know, it's not every industry where what you're really orienting towards is the truth. Yeah, right. It's not to make people feel better. Correct. <laughs> uh, it's not to. That's right. Um you know, convince anybody to do something you don't want them to do. It's, you know, it's not a sales operation. Yeah. It's just, you know, can you answer a question? Exactly. In the best possible way with that design. And if not, we need to do something different. Correct. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I, there's I, no I other consideration. Yeah. Other, yeah. This, I think, I think it's awesome because the, the science takes precedence, yep. which I quite enjoy. Yeah. Um, so James has, uh, I, w- I was reading the, reading the bio and I, I didn't know, I didn't know about some of this other stuff. The, can you talk to us about the the pupil dilation yeah. and the uh, and the visual decision just a little bit? Just yeah, kind of yeah, touch yeah, on yeah. that. So uh, I was at the end of my PhD, and I'll go on and talk about that in a moment. But my PhD had been kind of survey based studies, asking gay, lesbian, bisexual people why they thought they were gay, lesbian, or bisexual, and how their answers related to how accepting they were of themselves. Ooh, just a lot. Yeah, light, just easy a, question. Just a light, <laughs> light question. Just a, just a light, easy question. Yeah, just, just, going yeah. in. So, how do you feel about yourself? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but 
uh, in the last couple of months, I decided I was kind of done with survey, or at least I didn't want survey to be my only thing. Uh, you know, what people are willing to say about themselves uh, is very limited, and it's hard to know whether people often have great insight into what they think. Yeah. Even if they are willing to say, uh, to say it honestly. So you want some of these kind of measures that can get around what people are willing to say and measure what's really going on. And mm. so that's where we have these, what we call kind of psychophysiological measures. So measures that measure physiological changes in your oh, body. Oh, man, well, I knew you were, uh, I could feel this was coming. <laughs> like, this is some CIA shit, isn't yeah. it? Isn't <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, so James, every time you hear Illuminati confirmed, you got to stare directly into okay. the camera and smolder. All right, so yeah. let's practice real quick. Okay, ready, go. Mm, I like the head nod. I like mm. the head nod. It's good. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. It's good. So, so that <laughs> well, that's appropriate. It's true. It is a bit CIA type, right? It's you're probably thinking of lie detectors and things like that, which measure your body's physiological responses. This was similar. We were interested in physiological measures that could assess whether you were sexually interested in something. Is that what you were showing them the pictures? Yeah. Oh. Yes. He was see, I would I'd like to see the results there. I will not be disclosing my results. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And um, so that's where the eye tracking came in. And we originally thought that we were going to use pupil dilation. So we have these eye trackers in the School of Psychology in our visual attention labs. And basically they're these little cameras that sit behind a computer screen. And then we show you various images images of your preferred class of stimulus. So if you're heterosexual and mm. you're a male, there'll be naked women. Right. If you're homosexual and a male, there'll be naked men. And we look at what your eyes dilate more to, what class of stimulus your nice. eyes dilate more to. Nice. Mm. And it's because there's been a bunch of study conducted in the last decade or so showing that pupil dilation correlates strongly with genital arousal. So if somebody is dilating really? pupilly, yep. To a particular stimulus, it's likely they're also genitally aroused by it. So it's Man. a pretty good indices of sexual interest. Whew. Yeah. About to stop get a li- you know stop dilating your pupils at me, bro. <laughs> I, I notice it li- every <laughs> single time. Every single time. That's, that's why you try to avoid eye contact with me sometimes, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting you say that before we had these eye trackers to do it. I believe there were some studies in Canada in the 1960s. And they used to get people to try to make measurements, judgments of changes in people's pupil dilation yeah. by looking in their eyes as the other person was looking at particular images. Right. But now that wasn't particularly reliable. But now we have this eye tracking technology which can do it. Now, we were unable to capture these basic effects. So I piloted it like... Well, the cameras didn't work. You they worked. They worked. But it was just messy. There was uh, something going on in the room. Oh, I don't okay. know if we didn't have the right ambient light. Right, because you could imagine that if there's too much brightness in You're the room, people's the people might be will, kind of dilated yeah. already to kind yeah. of the maximum uh, extension. Right, and so you can't kind of see a difference related to arousal on top of that. Oh yeah, I didn't think about yeah. that. The lighting in the room would, yeah. would definitely well, have, would definitely we, play a role. We messed around with it. Uh, we had a couple of trials. We found something. Others where we didn't. The actual study found nothing. So what we switched to then was looking at how people gazed at images, and so we. Using this technology, we can look at moment to moment where people are looking at on images. Right. So here we've got these pornographic images sourced from websites like Pornhub. Mm-hmm. And I've never heard of it. 
What, what's that? What's Never that? heard of it. it. No? Pornhub. Por- Pornhub. <laughs> How do you spell that? Por- oh, Powern. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly why we need to use these sorts of physiological measures. No one's right. going to own up, right? Yeah. Um, anyway, and so we were able to write some really interesting studies just based on where people looked, like minor shifts in their attention to certain body parts, mm. or when we had two images on a screen. Where they looked first, because you're like, oh, if okay. I show you, this is this this one paradigm we use called the forced choice paradigm, and in that one we're trying to figure out usually whether you prefer males or females more. So we'll flash naked male, naked female at the same time at opposing sides of the screen, and we'll measure where your eyes start to first, and that seems to be a pretty good unconscious measure of your preferred. I'm sexual getting, I'm stimulus. Nervous. Yeah. I'm nervous. I ain't even in the test. I'm, I'm nervous. <laughs> <laughs> You're asking yourself the question, right? Which one would I look at first? Exactly. Yeah. See, this is the gun. I, I, I often think about our industry, the fitness industry, and how interested we are in physique and, 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 and more specifically when you look at bodybuilding, which is a whole kind of different kettle of fish, but not really. Mm. It's like male bodybuilding. Bu- body and it, uh, I, I enjoy male bodybuilding as well. But why is it that males enjoy the male form that much to be getting into male bodybuilding? Very true. Interesting one. That's actually actually that's a that's a that's a really good point because I'm thinking specifically of this video. I've watched this video of Sean Ray, a bodybuilder from like the '90s. He was you, yeah, Sean Ray. He, he, he was legit, and, and he I've, was a good-looking brother as well. Yeah. <laughs> and so I wa- I've watched this video of him posing. I don't know how many times because I'm just absolutely fascinated is, is, isn't even a word I'm, I'm 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 pretty much infatuated with the way that he looks in that video mm. like and what he does with his muscles like what like how he poses and kind of what it's like you know with the you know how he uses the music and how he transitions like same with like uh kai green is another really good bodybuilder who's excellent amazing an amazing poser so i could look at videos of watch watch videos of him yep. posing for I, I could watch him for an hour straight are you admiring the craft because you know how hard it is to do these particular things yeah so here you see this kind of um the best representative of that sport right like yeah or is it more than that i don't know no it no Mm. i i I think i think it's def it's i think it's definitely the craft but and for me the i I cannot say the same for like female bodybuilders at all i am not i'm not interested in them whatsoever like i'm like i don't want to see it to a certain point and yeah. then it goes like with a bit with <laughs> the tipping point. There is a tipping point yeah, right. yeah, yeah, where, yeah, where in like my opinion, it becomes too masculine. But that's yes. weird, isn't it? That's weird. Why? Do it, or maybe it's that's maybe a it's very not. interesting point. Maybe it's. Not. I'd love to know what that threshold is because I imagine there's some sort of basic mechanism in our mind, yeah, which has our preferred template for a female body or a male body, and when it gets too sex atypical. When it strays too far from yeah. what's typical for that particular biological sex, yep, our attraction pattern switches off, and I wonder if that's what's going on here. That's definitely what's going on. I'm gonna show you some pictures after when we get done because, um, unfortunately, the rate we booked the room didn't include internet. It's all good, um, but uh, I'm gonna show <laughs> you some show you some pictures because, like, women's bikini, yep. uh, women's women's bikini, even women's figure. I'm like, okay, cool, but then you get into women's physique or women's bodybuilding or fitness 
And again, I, I'm again, I fully support it. It's just, it's, it's just a personal preference. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, a- after that point, I'm sorry, threshold is breached. And I'm like, nah, I'm but like, people have different preferences too, right? Absolutely. So some yeah, people definitely. like skinny girls, some people, yeah, some people like people. more muscular, some people like, uh, like thicker girls. Exactly. Yeah. And, so and the same with guys. Some people like the Justin Bieber type with the real yeah. skinny. Some people like the more buff. Oh, I can't but even think who that was. Justin Bieber, 50 Cent. example. 50 the more buff Marlon type. 50 Cent. <laughs> 50 Cent. But I saw a documentary on men who loved bodybuilding women. And they would go to these bodybuilding conventions mm. and hang around. And they'd get the autographs of these women they admired. And it's fascinating. These guys, that seemed to be their sexual preference. I think I was, I was watching, a, a, what's his name? Um, Thoreau. Yep. And he. Yeah. Oh, I just started watching him, bro. And there's one where. I watched one where, of where, where this bodybuilder, female, she sells her services online, as in, but not the, not the kind. Well, maybe that that's included, but on this episode, guys would come in and hit, she'd basically throw them around and wrestle them and dominate them. And that's yeah. what that's what they into. They, want, they wanted this big, fem, strong female to just handle them. Damn, like, that's crazy. And they showed that shit. It was like. Okay. Damn. That's a, that's a beautiful thing about this world. Everyone's into yeah, different exactly. shit. Yeah, exactly. Everybody, and I think that's the kind of like your specialization per paraphilias. Yeah, it's, it's it's basically just like atypical attraction, exactly. like attraction to something that's not like that's not typical. Exactly. Paraphilia. Paraphilia. Yeah. Paraphilia. And, and in the DSM, so this is in that diagnostic statistical manual that keeps growing that has all the mental health problems. Yeah. There's one section on the paraphilias, which is sexual disorders. And for a thing to be classified as a paraphilia, it has to be causing you significant distress or impairment. Um, So, you know, you could have these atypical sexualities, but if they're not causing you particular stress, we might not not put it it in that bucket. Right. But, um, no, exactly. Um, Perhaps the sorts of people that would seek out female bodybuilders in order to be dominated could be said, in some instances, to have a paraphilia. Yeah. Um, and I, I wonder in that instance whether it's someone being sexually aroused by having a muscular woman or whether it's the domination sort of dynamic which the person likes. Yeah. But some people would be happy to have that. It wouldn't be a disorder if they exactly. if, if it didn't cause them any any exactly. uh, anguish. And yep. what and what what causes the anguish would be what society they they, they think society thinks of them. Thinks exactly. Of having, yeah. yeah, no. Mm. So some people don't give a shit. Like, hey, I'm into that freaky shit. I don't care who knows. And yeah. I don't care yep. whether, whether you like it or not. But other Damn. people struggle with it, struggle with how they are. Yeah, I, I think that's what the, uh, be, be, because, and I mean, I, I mean, all this is a, all this is an extremely new science. Yeah. Like, all, like, these are things we weren't researching 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago. So, and, you know, you, you coincide that with the, with the, Massive, I say massive increase in, you know, in technology, but like kind of like the, the technological revolution and then, you know, the social media revolution and the globalization of the world, you know, everything's kind of getting smaller and it's getting more connected. And so all this stuff has much more exposure. Yeah. So it's so it's it's, it's way easier for there to all of a sudden be a, you know, um, a new sexuality here, or a new sexuality there. But then those things kind of discredit the ones that are that, that are that are quote-unquote a little more legitimate like i think it's if i'm going around okay so the most recent one was like sapiosexual you know like sapiosexuals Mm -hmm. are sapios yeah sapiosexuals bro sapiosexuals are attracted to people attraction to intellect or like attraction Mm -hmm. to intelligence so it's a sapiosexual and it's a huge thing it's like a big thing on social media like you'll be 
DM somebody on Tinder and she's like, oh, I'm a sapiosexual. And it's like, what is that? And she's like, hmm, you're not my type. Uh, <laughs> 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 wrong, wrong. I, because <laughs> I, I think I might be part sapiosexual. So, uh, is, that, is, that, is that the adjective? Yeah, 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 yes. yeah, yeah sapiosexual. So because, I think it's, because if I ever get someone commenting or, or, or messaging me, not, not that I get those kind of messages, but if you're watching, Jackie. Uh, I don't, I don't want to smolder after I've just made that. <laughs> <laughs> but if someone doesn't spell you are or your or, or their oh, yeah, correctly, yeah. turned off straight away. Really? Bad. It's like, you dumb. Sapiosexual maybe, maybe, maybe gaining some momentum. Put in the DSM. Like is it in the DSM? <laughs> <laughs> doesn't that, doesn't, doesn't that turn you off no. straight away if someone doesn't it can't, can't spell correctly? Or have, 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 I definitely know what you mean. Like it's yeah. like, like it's. I mean, if, it's if like, you, oh man, you look yeah. good. But if you can't hold a conversation with somebody, then you're like, oh, okay, well, that that that's 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 definitely going to impact negatively impact my you know my overall attraction. Okay, to straight you. to the bedroom. Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying? But I think let's, it's let's skip this part. I, I, I think it's. Uh, I think things like that are, are, are dangerous because I know you do work in like essentialism or like essential yeah. versus non-essential. And can you talk to us about that just a little bit before we jump into the questions? Yeah, sure. So Alan uh, and myself, we kind of um, started working together because we had a similar interest in psychological essentialism. Mm -hmm. And so that's basically this way that people tend to think about social categories, which is that people tend to see social groups like emos or uh, you know, punks or goths, yeah. kind of like natural species, like species of animals. Right. And assume that people who belong to these groups have some sort of underlying essence which makes them part of the group. Um, and the problem there you can imagine is that when we start to think of people like different species, social groups as different species, it's a pretty potent way that we can then discriminate against them. That's yeah. what, this is why I hate the word race. Yeah, I hate being race being described as black people, Asian people. It's like the Asian race, the black. That's why I never use it. Mm. The people of different cultures, right? And they have different pigmentation in their skin. It's not like they're a different. That's the human race. Right. True. So true, 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 right. True, true. Exactly. Okay. To your point, man. That's how people looking for yeah. more reasons to create differences between us is yeah. is the wrong, is is always dangerous. Mm. Right on, and that's a lot of this social psych literature around essentialism actually was initially focused on issues of race. So the concern of what happens when we start to see racial groups as you know, groups of people that have these unique characteristics, they're all like one another and fundamentally different from people in other ra racial groups. Right. Um, but unfortunately, humans do seem to have this software running on their brain, which our default assumption is when we see a group, we just tend to essentialise it, to imagine that everyone in the group's the same to imagine that they're the same because they have this similar essence. I for damn sure do that. <laughs> I do. I think, I think everyone does to a certain I do. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. So we've got to kind of constantly fight against it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think that's, uh, and, and uh, kind of, you know, to, to your point, Alani, um, growing up in the States, it's all, all about race. All about race. And so I see everything in black, white, Hispanic, Pacific Islander, Asian. Like, so that, 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 so that, that is, those are the five races that we have. And, but remember that day we were in the office and I was telling you, Australia doesn't have demographics on race. Yeah. yeah. They only have demographics on ethnicity. 
And I was like, damn, that, I was like, I, I can't figure out how many white people are here because it's saying, you know, it's saying European this or it's saying Russian this. So it's like, I'm like, where is white? I just want to know how many white, how many black, how many this, how many that. And I couldn't find it. And Maybe our demographers are trying to break down that essential yeah, biases. Ex exactly. Yeah. Whereas in the States, you type in United States are, and it's like, boom, racial categories pop up right away. Mm -hmm. And it, it immediately yeah. tells you. That's what we were talking about the other day. Like it's 77% white, this percent black, this percent huh. Hispanic, this percent Asian, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and thinking about you, you just saying that, kind of thinking of, you know, other reasons to kind of, you know, separate us. I'm like, oh, okay, you know, I get that. The problem is for somebody like me, my identity is race is so ingrained in us and my identity is so ingrained in me being black that I, I struggle I struggle to separate from that because it's like well I I, I am on and, and I am black and if you don't say if you don't own that if you say oh we're all one race then you are cast out from your from your group you know, so if I'm like, hey, listen, we need to embrace everybody. Black people are like, what? You, well, they haven't like, to Obama, like, right? Like, like they, you, you black, they, black people, black people didn't think Obama was being black enough. Correct, and and then it becomes this cannibalistic thing mm. within each, like like within each group. Like if you're white, why are you hanging out with those blacks? I mean, not so much today, sorta, but you know, like back, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, absolutely. Yeah, and so that's kind of, but. Being outside of the U.S. has kind of given me a lot more perspective about that. Like, uh, obviously, I still see black, white, Asian, Hispanic, but it's like, I see what you're saying, how you can easily assume this white person has the same characteristics and acts like all the other white people I've met. And this brown person does all the same as this. And this Asian person does all the same as that. And that can... Yeah, that can get that can get dangerous. Sure, <laughs> that can absolutely get dangerous. Uh, you you touched on a really important thing too, which was that we don't just essentialize other groups. We often essentialize ourselves. Yeah. So you know, we'll kind of might become quite wed to this idea that we are part of this biologically distinct group and kind right. of really value that identity. And you can see that in kind of recent LGBT activism, mm -hmm. kind of born this way rhetoric. Yeah. Which is that, you know, here's, here are groups who have seen that it's strategically useful, but also useful for how they see themselves right. um, to embrace that essentialist narrative and say, yes, it's in my DNA, I was born this way. Uh, and therefore, for instance, you can't ask me to change my behavior or be different in some ways. And right. you know, I have a legitimate place at this table because I couldn't be any other way than the way I am. Right. So it can be quite useful, that yeah. sort of language as well. Definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. So here's a, here's a, Here's a big dangerous question yeah. then based on what you've just said. From your research, yeah. are people born that way? Oh, wait, 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 wait. Oh, we gonna, we gonna, I we said it goes to I jumped the gun. So you know oh. what? Look, let's just jump into it. James, why are you gay? Smolder, <laughs> smolder. Let me tell you. Okay, so so, so the fir first question we got on the list is just and uh, what is sexual orientation? Okay. That's a really hard question question to answer mm -hmm. you wouldn't think it is but it is uh the first thing we have to kind of acknowledge is that the answer might be different in men and women Ooh. oh yeah so okay in in men sexual orientation refers to a man's sexual arousal pattern uh, so the best way to think about it is you know try to hold in mind an image of a really attractive naked woman mm -hmm. j-lo yeah. <laughs> sorry felicity i love you Try to hold in mind a really attractive, naked man in mind. Stormy. 
<laughs> and try to reflect on if you had any kind of genital arousal or other kind of physiological arousal to one image over the other. And for most men, they have a strong preference for one of the other. Right. They'll tend to report, you know, as soon as I had sexual interests, I realised that looking at male characteristics, for instance, penises and chests, that was just what got me hard. And that's how I knew I was gay. Mm-hmm. Most straight men, they'll say the opposite. Right. Um, so a man's sexual orientation is his sexual arousal pattern. And one of the advantages there is you can measure that objectively. Ah. You can measure it with measures of genital arousal, like yeah. penile plethysmography. Yeah. You actually... Great word. Isn't it? Great it's word. <laughs> great word. Goodness. <laughs> Give it up, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know plethysmography? No, it's penile a- Pterodactyl. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Pterodactyl. Pterodactyl. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. I've heard the very well endowed those pterodactyls. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So plethysmography is a way of measuring blood flow to the genitals. And the simplest way of doing that is literally putting a wire around the penis, a strain gauge. And as the penis expands in girth, when somebody gets an erection, the strain gauge measures that. And then you can assess the change in circumference on someone's penis to different types of images. And so that's still the kind of gold standard best approach we have. Damn. It's damn good. It's really effective. I hope they have extra large. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this, this, this is kind of off topic, but I was watching the Game Changers on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And they this was how they were trying to sell. I mean, it was very one-sided. That I don't know if you guys have watched this on, on vegetarianism, veganism plant-free, uh, plant-based diets. And they put these young high school, uh, these college uh, athletes on a plant-based diet and it did that, I'm sure they used that no piece way. of equipment to okay. measure the, the erections and the length and the size of the erections in their sleep and said, and uh, um, uh, measured the plant-based against the, really? against the meat-based diet and, and what uh, animal-based diet. And Got more from the you, there was there was longer and bigger erections from the plant based diet in, in the sleep. <laughs> <laughs> wow! So, so it's like man, you they're, they're using some psychological techniques to try and get people <laughs> off that meat. Exactly. Yeah, well that, that'd be really useful, I reckon. Yeah, that'd be a great strategy. Absolutely. Sheesh. <laughs> Duly noted. <laughs> Needless to say, I've been eating plant based diet ever since <laughs> for two weeks now. <laughs> Never slept better. <laughs> so what about so 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 male male sexual orientation is sexual arousal sexual patterns. Arousal, sexual arousal patterns. Just one more thing I should say there. We used to think yeah. that up until about fifteen years ago, we used to think that male sexual orientation really only came in two types, gay and straight. And um, that was because there were a couple of studies, early studies done, which found that men who identified as bisexual tended to have sexual arousal patterns which either look like homosexual men's arousal patterns or straight men's arousal patterns. And so the idea then was that bisexual men were identifying as bisexual for some other reason other than what got them hard. So that could be, for instance, they were transitional gay men. So they found it a little bit easier to come out as bi before taking the next step out of the closet to becoming gay identified. Mm. More recently, studies have been done, which there's now half a dozen if not more studies which show there are a subgroup of men with bisexual arousal patterns who arouse more to women than gay men and more to men than straight men. So okay. they exist. So I should 
leave that there. Right. But um, so here's the really thorny question: um, is what is sexual orientation in women? Right. So why do I ask that? You might assume that women like men would be sexually aroused by the thing they say they prefer. So a straight woman who says she's sexually attracted exclusively in men, if you were to use a different type of measure of sexual arousal, which is in women, a thing called vaginal photoplethysmography. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. 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 Do, you need, do you need some help at the lab uh, with uh, that equipment? I will take the photos. Your, your test subjects? Uh, might not have enough time. I can come in. Uh, <laughs> you always need more volunteers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm scared of that lab. I know I'm going to walk in the door and then all of a sudden, images. Oh, <laughs> that's oh right. snap. No, what am I looking at? Put this <laughs> ring on your dick. Put it on. <laughs> Don't ask any questions. <laughs> but um, so you might think that women's sexuality would work like men's, but it doesn't. So just briefly, I'll tell you about how we measure women's sexual arousal. So it's this little light-emitting diode which is inserted into the vagina. And the way wow. that it measures, yeah, the way that it measures blood flow, I mean, there's no easy measure like in men where you can just measure girth. What it does is it measures how dark the vaginal walls are. And when they're darker, there's more blood flow, more engorgement, which indicates more sexual arousal. Right. So the way you do it is you measure the darkness of the vaginal walls, when a woman's watching images of men, women, etc. Now, the strange thing that's been found is that heterosexual women show equivalent arousal to male and female images. What? And, yeah, they used to think, yeah, what's going on here? Is this just because this VPG thing is a shitty measure of sexual arousal? Yeah. So then different methodologies have been used. Pupil dilation. Okay. Um, brain imaging, put someone in an fMRI machine, measures brain activity, show women images of men and women, look at parts of the brain involved in sexual response and reward. What are their brains doing? Again. Man, I, think, I think you're about to confirm something I've said all along and have been vilified for Go ahead, what, it. Over what? The, no, 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 I'll wait. I'll wait. Okay. I'll wait. Okay. I think we... Uh, so this has led some researchers to ask uh you know are all women or most women bisexual snap <laughs> yeah <laughs> storm was right all along <laughs> all along thank you thank you science now most of the researchers who do this work will try to say look uh, just because a woman is sexually aroused equally by males and females doesn't necessarily mean she's bisexual Right. Uh, so it could be, for instance, that there's other things that we haven't been able to measure yet, which do distinguish straight women from bisexual women. Mm -hmm. um, you know, or there's another perspective which says there is no clear dividing line between a straight woman and a bisexual woman. But in fact, you know, bi women might simply be straight women who are particularly open-minded, uh, who've maybe had experiences that straight women haven't. They've been exposed to some, you know, sexual activity with other women, and they realise that they can enjoy it. But anyway, unlike in men, it doesn't seem at this point like there's a clear dividing wall between straight women and bi women. Now, then it gets even weirder. So I'll, I'll show up in a moment. But um, 
it does seem keep like going, one, group going, of women, stuff. one group of women do have a sexual orientation. And that's, that's lesbian women. And so the very first study that looked at women's sexual arousal patterns had straight women and lesbian women. They found, as I said before, straight women equally aroused by male and female images. Mm-hmm. Lesbian women show a preference for women. So what's going on there? What, one explanation is that so, we know that, mes- uh, that lesbian women tend to be masculinized psychologically, so more like men in some ways than heterosexual women are. Right. So one possible explanation is that their sexual arousal pattern is a bit masculinized. Yeah. And it actually looks more like a male one where they actually have a clear direction to it. So that's one possible explanation. Oh, okay. Does it... Okay, I, I think that, so the female, se- so female sexuality, like, does it, does it have anything to do with, no, nah, because then that would be the same for males as well. That's crazy. I feel like, and this is a layman's feeling, I feel Good, like, yeah, that's what we need. I feel like females are more likely to embrace their feelings about everything. Yep. Whereas males are more likely to suppress them. Yeah. So even if a uh, even if a man identifies himself as heterosexual and but he has some homosexual feelings, he's more likely to suppress them because of the way he's been uh, because of the way males are raised. Yeah. Whereas females are more uh, are usually given more permission to embrace their emotions, which can lead not just a uh, can lead into sexuality as well. That's just my. Oh, I like that. Humble like an environmental, like, a, like an, envir- an, an, an uh, environmental thing. Env- yeah, culture, well, yeah. Yeah, cultural, or, environmental. Yeah, just like kind of like gender norms. Yeah, as, as totally. well. Have you ever read this book called uh, pro- uh, It's called Born This Way by this like cri- this cri- uh, this uh, no this Lady Christian. Gaga. <laughs> <laughs> this, uh, this 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 Christian guy, this Christian author here. I just read it. Felicity's mom gave it to me to read last week. I just and I just finished reading it. And basically, it's this guy's take on, on 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 sexual orientation, and he said that the word "gay" uh, shouldn't be used because it's 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 too broad, kind of like too broad of a of a sentiment. Mm. And he said we should look at it as same sex attraction. Mm. Uh, but then later on in the book, which is which is this is kind of speaking to y- your point, he says that it's actually it should be looked at, and this is because the the first part of the book is written. Uh, in the name of science, which the the entire book is written with a judgmental undertone, which is fine, but uh, he said that it should be same sex attraction should be so not gay, but same sex attraction, and then same sex attraction should actually be labeled same sex temptation. Ooh. So he was saying Ooh. that, and and he so this was when he was speaking about what the Bible says, and he was right. saying that. You know, we should if we look at same sex attraction as same sex temptation, then when you start to have those urges. You realize that no, this is a, this is just a temptation, and I should and I should I should suppress that. Mm-hmm. And so this is kind of that's an extension of what I've just yeah, said. Uh, exactly. Bringing religion into it, right? Bringing it, it in exactly. The- so I think it's kind of an extension of that. Yeah. You know, you it's it's why it's much more of a you know much more of a taboo for a man to be gay or for a man to be homosexual because it's like, bro, we don't do that. Mm. You know, whereas you know, women, oh yeah, I kissed the girl, I kissed the girl, mm-hmm. and I liked it. You know, like like th- things like that kind of yeah. may, maybe a little more glorified because it's maybe it's a little more culturally acceptable or, or, or something along those lines maybe so I don't know if it's I just I just started thinking about that same sex temptation thing that he was talking about it's really interesting yeah I've heard 
kind of conservatives and Christian types say that in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's always struck me as slightly odd because I don't think most heterosexual men have same-sex temptation. <laughs> the only people that would start to think about needing to suppress same-sex attraction would be men who were gay or, or bisexual. Yeah. Uh, and I think sometimes some of these pastors who might have this experience mm-hmm. then try to universalize it and say, all yeah. other men experience this. No, right. they don't. <laughs> they don't. No, no, no. No, no. The only difference is little Marlon here is suppressing it. Isn't that right, Marlon? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Whatever you say. Whatever you say, Pastor. Yeah, that's right. I, I don't think most men are struggling with same-sex attraction, but, um, but some people are, and perhaps that pastor is. But, um, but certainly that was the way that it's been seen historically, right? Yeah. Same-sex attraction is something that should be suppressed because it's sinful. Right. And uh, deal with it like any other sort of temptation. Yeah. Uh, and the problem, I mean, that's fine if you're predominantly attracted to the opposite sex. Mm-hmm. The problem is if you're attracted predominantly to the same sex, it starts to create real problems in your ability to maintain the types of sexual and romantic relationships that would make life worth living. Yeah. So then it's quite a cost to give up that. <laughs> Hell yeah, it is. Quite a cost. I can't, ex- I, I can't it's, it's, a, it's a hard sell to expect somebody to you know, fight these. Cause I, when I, when I thought about that, I was like, okay, so do you expect someone who is, you know, who is LGBT or, you know, gay or homosexual, bisexual, whatever you want to call it. Do you expect them to, if, if, if I physiologically, if, if I cannot be aroused by the opposite sex, then do I just live as, then do I just live as a celibate? Like, like, is, is that just it for me? Like, what do I do because the, in that same that same book, he said, you know, God made sex to be enjoyable. And, you know, God wants, you know, he wants us to enjoy sex. And it's like, I would, I, I would struggle to say, well, you know, if you, if you aren't attracted to the opposite sex and if you aren't, you know, if you aren't asexual or if, you know, if you, if you don't fit in or if you're not the norm, then unfortunately you're just SOL for, you know, for mm. your entire life. Or what they did back in the day here, take these hormones until they make you suicidal and depressed and you kill yourself. You know, yeah. like that's, you know, that, that's kind of what the hey, Alan Turing approach, hey, Alan Turing. That's yeah. what I was thinking about in the, uh, imitation game. Yeah. That mm. I, I watched it. That's, that's the media I was thinking about like this. Have you ever seen it, bro? Yeah. Tragic imitation. Just tragic, man. Like you got this genius and he's forced to take these, to you know, go through this HRT mm. until, until, you know, by the court, wasn't it too? Yeah. Bro? Yeah. By the courts, like by the high courts. Mm. Was I telling you the other day that being, uh, they still persecute being homosexual, and I think it's like, oh, I think it might be like over 40 or 50 countries in the world. Yeah, like, I believe it. And places yeah. like Jamaica does it, like Myanmar, like Bali, like these places, and some places only persecute males. Yeah, it's right. Really, like it's so, so it's male only, and some places it's punishable by death. Other, you get like 10, 15 years in prison. Like, it's crazy. And you find that cross culturally, that it seems to be male same sex behavior, which is outlawed. Yeah. So even the sodomy laws, like in Victoria, Victorian England, were about male homosexuality. Right. Um, there were no laws on the books prohibiting female-female interactions. So I think there, there's some sort of sense in you know that it seems to upset people's sensibilities more. Something Way about the male. More. I think yeah. it's just. I think it has everything to do with kind of those that that you know dominant patriarch like kind of totally know, like. Don't you think that, don't, don't, yeah, but don't you think that 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 those places that still enforce those types of laws and focus purely on the male to male is because they're 
patriarchies and they probably don't don't value females as oh, much as yeah, they do males anyway. Yeah, so it was a, like yeah, it's a shit ton of places in the Middle East. It's it's uh, ironically it's a few places in Asia. It's Samoa and Tonga are, are, are on the list. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it's just male, but like they but like they have that. I know I mentioned Jamaica and when you think about those places, they yeah. definitely have that that sense of the patriarch, matriarch kids, blah blah, like the father's the provider, this and that. So it would absolutely be a huge violation oh, of social yeah. norms for two men to be getting it on. Yeah, and in, and then in some cultures you'll find that I think this is the case in ancient Greece. Uh, in male male sexual interactions, it was okay if you were the insertive partner taking the male role. Yeah, but if you were the receptive partner taking the female role, all of a sudden that was a terribly taboo place to yeah. be. Don't want to be their bottom. It's yeah, cool that's me. right. But that's you better right. be pitching. You better, you better be, be pitching. <laughs> you better be the top. <laughs> you, you better be the top. You better be pitching. <laughs> you better be mother. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so can you? Can you objectively determine <laughs> sexual orientation? In men? Or can you objectively measure it? I think in men we can measure it pretty well. I think the relationship between what a man says he is and what his genitals say is very high. So in most cases, I think you can tell a man's sexual orientation from his genital response. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it is. In women, they're, 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 no. They're, no. I know who I am. Yeah. <laughs> that basically defines man, doesn't it? <laughs> you can, yeah. A man is what his genitals say. Yes. Alani seems to be getting aroused by that cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> Add to the DSM. <laughs> You're going to have to help create a whole new category for me. <laughs> yeah. And so what about... Uh, oh, go ahead. Were you I was going to say there are some sorts of attractions which are harder to assess... Because it's not clear what the stimulus would be, or people have. So one I talk about quite a bit is autogynephilia. Yeah, I'm always talking about in the lab, which is I don't know if you've heard of this, but you probably have heard something like it. It's um, the old term was transvestites or cross dresses. So these are heterosexual men who will kind of dress up in their wives' clothes when their wife is out. And it used to be thought these men were kind of sexually attracted to that's the feel me. of the clothes. I was going to say, so what am, what, <laughs> what, what that's, am I... What, that's what literally am I, what I do. What am I called again? <laughs> and Who then, am I? And then he, and then he, then he records it. <laughs> Felicity comes home. Oh, shit, you stretched my shit out again? I got to show you some videos, Jane. I got to show you some videos. I need to see this. Oh, man. <laughs> no, no. You won't well, have to look too far to find those videos. <laughs> well, many of these men will say, I'm only aroused or almost only aroused at imagining myself as the sort of woman I'm attracted to. So this is hard to get your head around, right? It is so hard to get it. Men who are attracted to breasts and vaginas and female movement, but most attracted to the idea of possessing that themselves. And right. in some instances, it's a complete inversion. So they'll say, I'm not particularly interested in women out there in the world at all. I don't want to have a girlfriend or a wife. Right. Um, I get most arousal at dressing up as a woman or maybe even getting surgical enhancements to be able to present more as a woman. Um, so it's, it's, it's quite a thing. And anyway, so with that group, it's a little bit harder to know how you can assess that sexual orientation because what's the stimulus going to look like? Um, so there's like, there's like the spectrum of oh different yeah. sexualities, right? Yeah. I mean, you, think, you think about... Uh, Gay men who, who actually walk more effeminately or yeah. have more effeminate, uh, 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 what's the what's the term? Movement and 
like and like an aura well the the you know when like a feminine essence or something like that or like uh, voice like mannerisms mm. oh okay yeah yeah feminine mannerisms but then there's a there's a spectrum you know they're like yeah. everyone, i guess everyone's not the same right but so, yeah but is that as different ty- are they so an, is. Yeah, so 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 an auto auto gynophily yak. Yeah. So so uh, so someone who falls in that category, an auto gynophily yak, would, would they be? Would is 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 that a sexuality like in and of itself? So like, are, are is like is that is that person attracted to men or women, or is that is that specifically they're attracted, they're aroused by kind of emulating the sex that they are attracted to? Great point. Great point. Um, to step back for a moment, mm-hmm. when we talk about sexual orientation, we usually talk about one continuum, right? Yeah. Male, female. Yep. But there's at least two other continuum that are important to understand male sexual orientation. The first is age. Right. Most of us are attracted to people of the same age or similar age or at least adults. Yeah. Uh, there are men who are mostly sexually attracted to prepubertal children. Mm-hmm. Or to kids who are on the cusp of puberty, right. hebophiles. It's called hebophile. Is that sort of man? Don't like those hebophiles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Got no time for those hebophiles, <laughs> right? So tell me where those hebophiles at. I'll go f- sort that shit out. <laughs> so most of us are teleophiles, which means we're attracted to sexually matured adults. Yo, I'm learning words yeah, today, yeah, bro. Yeah. Man, we had I some mean, words yeah, today. Words. Yeah, yeah, pterodactyl, teleophiles. Sorry. Plus, plus, plus for more, Graham? <laughs> yeah, close. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Plethysmograph. No. Plethysmograph. <laughs> Say that three times. <laughs> um, and then the other, this gets, this is relevant to the autogynophilia thing. The other dimension we don't think about, self versus other. So what that means, if we're attracted to female body parts, are we mostly attracted to them out there on other people or on ourselves? If we're attracted to kids... Are we mostly attracted to kind of prepubertal bodies on children out there or on the idea of possessing a child's body? Wow. Now, that seems to be a dimension of sexual orientation that's very important to understanding some paraphilias, some sexual disorders. Uh, There's a colleague of mine who I've done some work with, Kevin Sue, who's done some fascinating work on this class of sexual orientation called the erotic target ETLE, erotic target location error, mm. which is like he did some work with pedophiles and found that there were a subset of pedophiles who were strongly aroused by the idea of emulating a child's appearance and behavior. So they would dress up in children's clothing and that's how they got their arousal. <laughs> um, so we know that this dimension of sexuality kind of applies to all different types of sexual interests. If you're attracted primarily to women, but that dimension, the self-other thing, is more focused on yourself. Mm-hmm. You'll have autogynophilia, love of yourself as a woman, and you'll be sexually aroused at imagining yourself with female body parts and dressing up as a woman. Is that, does that relate to people dating people that have similar features to them? Ooh, tell me more. Tell me, yeah. like, like you'll see people that are together yeah. and they look the same. They could you think, geez, they could be brother or sister, or yeah. or if they have big lips, they're attracted to someone else with big similar features to them. Oh, I see what you're saying. That's an interest. There is research on that, and I don't know if it's relevant. The research that I've read that's relevant is 
although you hear that opposites attract when it comes to sexual partners, yeah, more often than not, it's sameness attracts. Yeah. So we're attracted to people that are similar to us in important ways. Right. And I think maybe that has something to do while you find couples that are often like the male and female version of one another. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I've definitely seen that. Or the male-male version of one another or yeah. the female-female version of one another. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So is that narcissistic? Is that a, is that a classification <laughs> of narcissism to be to know. be attracted to sort of like going out? You, you're trying to be you're trying to be with yourself. <laughs> People often say that when it comes to autogynophilia, yeah, I right. say, is that because you know you just couldn't imagine a woman as interesting or appealing as yourself as you as would a woman. be as a woman? And and I I've got a strong no to that. Um, my feeling is that this particular dimension of sexual orientation is probably laid down prenatally. I think it's there from the beginning. Yeah. It's literal cross-wiring, I think. Mm -hmm. And so it's this weird quirk of sexuality that just happens for that reason. Yeah. I don't think there's a reason to think that auto, like erotic cross-dressers are more narcissistic than your average person or that their narcissism is the reason that they erotically cross-dress. So here's a, here's a heavy question then. Yeah. Does that mean pedophiles cannot be cured? Yes. Hmm. Mm. Mm. I just uh, watched. I, I, that's a I, I, got a I, truth I, bomb. Yeah, truth bomb. I just watched. Well, I should say that's what that's what uh, James Cantor, who's probably the or one of the leading pedophile researchers, not a pedophile himself, just a guy that studies um, pedophilia, would say. Um, there's no evidence that people can lose their sexual orientation, regardless of what their sexual orientation is. Uh, and what the treatment is for pedophiles is to help them gain skills to better control their sexual interests so that they don't cause harm. So it's basically to enable them to live as, you know, in a kind of a celibate life yeah. or express their sexuality uh, with adults uh, without offending against children. Man, that is, that is, that is sticky, bro. Mm. That is sticky. Like that is uh, in that, in that, in that, uh, in that Louis Thoreau thing. Uh, have have you seen the one where he went to Kualanga, like where he went to that pedophile facility? No, so I don't he, think I could watch that kind of shit. Yeah, so so he went Not to this one. pedophile facility. He was kind of like talking to them about this. Basically, this is this place where after they serve their prison sentence, they go to this place for an indefinite amount of time to get therapy and to go through like group sessions and to make sure, okay, are you truly rehabilitated? Are you ready to go back? And it's just crazy how how aware some of these. So some of the pedophiles, some people are obviously in denial, yeah. but it's crazy how many of them are actually very aware of what they've done, of who they are. Mm. And they're like, ain't nothing I can do about it. Mm. And I'm, you know, I'm going to go back into the world. And I'm going to do my best to, you know, I'm going to do my best to, uh, you know, to not cause any harm. And I feel like I'm ready to go back. But it's like, as soon as you get back to your own devices, you know, if, if, if you honestly cannot help that, you'd be hard pressed to, you know, to not, revert back to that without constant supervision and oh, that's yeah. so, so so that's crazy to know that that's you know that that's you know that's that's wired in like that wired in yep at this point i know that there's one researcher paul federoff who is a professor somewhere in canada who does research and clinical work with pedophiles and thinks that he can reduce their pedophilic sexual interests mm -hmm. but the consensus view is that you can't change pedophilic sexual arousal patterns. Right. So you just help men live with them. Um, now, I don't, have you guys heard of the virtuous 
pedophile movement? No. Yeah, the yeah like it, it sounds movement. like yeah, it sounds like um, it, an oxymoron, but no, it actually is a group of non-offending pedophiles who say, you know, what we need uh, is more support. Uh, we need mental health support so that we can gain. Wow, that's pretty brave. Sure. That's pretty yeah, brave. Right? If they're, if they're non-offending, super brave. They're coming super in and brave. saying, "Man, exactly. I've, I've got this shit, and yep. help me." Exactly. I give him a little. Yeah. I give him a little something. Yeah. Something. No. Seriously. Non-offending. Non-offending. This, this, this is the thing. If you, if you, if yeah. you're born this way. Yeah. You, you, you know, what, what are your options? Yeah. I mean, and it's a slippery slope if you're saying because if you yeah. say pedophilia is inherent and, mm. and and can't be cured, then that totally in, uh, reinforces the fact that your other sexualities mm. are inherent and and should not be tried to be cured because they can't be. You know, that's, that was, Damn. that's the whole. Uh, that's you know. right. And that's right. Pedophilia is sort of an outlier because most of the other sexual orientations you can express without causing any harm to anybody else. Yeah, true shit. And <laughs> enriching your life. Right. Pedophilia is one where if you were to express it, you'd be inflicting harm on somebody else. Right. Uh, and so it's, this kind of, it's kind of a unique case. It's kind mm. of like the best thing we know to do is try to help people never right. express their sexual interest. Damn. And then there's really curly questions, really curly questions like, this is really curly, um, you know, would it be useful in reducing their likelihood of offending for them to have like dolls that were like yeah, children or, forms? Yeah, or pictures, or like pictures stuff like that. that yeah. were like cartoon pictures that didn't involve any kind of child exploitation. Right. I don't know. That's, we don't have any research to say whether that would increase the tendency to offend or decrease the tendency to offend. But I think the critical thing here is that the approach to how to help manage pedophiles should be kind of evidence-based. Right. If, if, if what we're interested in is making sure these people never offend against children, we have to, have to look at the science. Yeah, you go. Yeah. <laughs> so with, with... That would be, I mean, this might not be a popular, popular opinion, but that would be when I would subscribe to chemical castration, mm. right? Yeah, it's and like, some of the guys you, in there have done that. If you are truly not wanting to offend, if you haven't done that already, then you should be willing to do that. And if you're not willing to do that, then you should that should be done anyway. Yeah, some yeah, some, some of the guys in there have been castrated. He was like, you know, I'm going through castration, some chemical, some not, because he was like, you know, I, I want people to know that I'm serious about not offending ever again. And but that's just sexuality. Like that's just that's. Yeah, that's. I guess it does lend credence to the idea that sexuality is kind of ingrained in us. Um, mm. So what about so what about bisexual, pansexual, queer, uh, questioning? Like like what what Great about? Great point. So, you, pansexual, questioning, queer. These are these kind of recently emerging sexual identities. Yeah. Like twenty years ago, almost ten years ago. Yeah. Almost nobody identified this way. And increasingly, people are adopting these labels to indicate that they're kind of flexible in their sexual interests. Mm -hmm. These labels, pansexual, queer, more common in women yep. than men, which kind what, of makes what, sense what given they, what we I, said before. I'm ignorant to those two terms, to be honest. What, 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 Sorry, what's that? What, I'm ignorant to those two uh, terms. What are they? So pansexual is sexual attraction to people regardless of gender. So it's a bit different to bisexual because some people would define bisexuality as being attracted to males and females, where this is I'm attracted to males and females and also non-binary people, people that don't conform to either male or female categories uh, or transgender people. 
who do identify with one of the binary categories but were assigned a different gender. So is birth. that they're, in, they're attracted to intellect or personality rather than the well, physical? That's a great point. Or pansexuals are just attracted yeah. to people. To people. But okay. it's a great point. Like what underlies pansexual attraction? Where it might just be that these people are attracted to personality. So right. they're kind of not every last pansexual, but often it might be the case. If you're a great person, you've got an electric personality, I don't particularly care what's between your legs. Yeah. I'm fine. Right. Um, and it, to me, um, it's no surprise that there's many more women that identify that way. Uh, as we've talked about before, uh, physical sex characteristics seem to be less determinative of a woman's sexual response. So, yeah. The queer one's an interesting one. It, like, it started in university campuses probably 30 years ago amongst activists. And it was them kind of trying to reject what they saw as restrictive categories of gay and lesbian. They said, mm. you know, we don't like being stuck in these boxes. Queer just means that we reject heteronormativity. So we express okay. our sexuality in a way that's counter to the dominant model of expressing sexuality. Right. Don't put us in boxes. Uh, and so I found it's mostly amongst kind of university-educated, politically progressive type communities that you find queer identified people. Yeah. Okay. So and they can be anything. They can be attracted to almost exclusively one sex or bisexual or pansexual. They don't want to be labeled. They don't want to be labeled, yeah. Right. Why do we have this is why are there so many letters? Good point. Yeah, what so we got L G B T Q and I. And something else now. I think another one's been added as well. What uh, is I again? Intersex. Intersex, that's right, intersex. Yeah. And intersex is, is that transitioning? Intersex, no. So that's a good point. So these are people that have uh, biological or genetic anomalies that lead them to having sexual characteristics which are um, intermediate or mixed. So it might be, for instance, a biological female who has internal testes as well as a vagina or a biological right. female who is exposed to a lot of androgens in utero and has a really enlarged clitoris that almost looks like a penis. Right. So these kind of anomalies in... Um, so that actually, that's a physical yeah, anomaly. these are right? physical So things. this is why... Yeah, they can... Why is there... With, with people that have the same essential physical structure, yep. I don't want to say biological because that's different, right? Yeah. Why, why is there the need to have all that all those different categories? I think it's political. Political. It's, yeah, it's, it's what... But driven... People have a driven, need, I think, for, you know, to be part of a community and to be accepted. Right. And uh, I think it used to be kind of gay and lesbian Mardi Gras. Mm -hmm. And then there were groups who would have liked to have been included, you know, bisexuals, who might be part of the community and, right. you know, they felt left out. You know, I, I want some sort of event to acknowledge my struggle and, you know, my yeah. sexual expression... And so then you add the B, LGB. And then right. you have different groups come along and say, but, you know, my experience is sort of similar as well. Or, you know, my experience is about sexuality and gender. Yeah. And it's not included in those three letters. So please, can you put me in there? And then it keeps expanding. Yeah. Now, one of the problems is, is that, you know, there is a bit of redundancy in there. You know, you could argue that many pansexuals could be easily kind of slotted under the bisexual category. Right. Although people will probably come after me on, uh, the internet for saying that. <laughs> but, oh, of course. But, but whether or not these groups are fundamentally different yeah. is anyone's, you know, I don't know. But um, actually I did a study on that and found that bisexuals and pansexuals showed very similar sexual interests, pretty much the same. Right. 
Um, so the difference seems to be more in politics. Pansexual and see, that's more the, kind of younger generations, woke, aware of gender diversity. Yeah. I think that's the... Uh, every time there's a change or or every time there's a... Which, it's not like they're, we're not adding letters every week, but like, you know, like every, every time there's something... Something else, or I'm a little too dark. Let me lighten that up. Uh, like every time there's something, something else, or another sexuality, or or a, another argument. I think when we're talking about, so I, I, I love speak. I love going across the aisle, hmm. and I think that's I think that's the best way to to make change happen. I think the issue or how the LGBTQI community is shooting themselves in the foot is when you try and include more people in you start to discredit that or you start to you start to bring a little more a little more suspicion and a little more uh, apprehension to the fact that this is something biological or, that, or this is something you were born with right and so if it was just lesbian gay it's like huh okay well you got this group of people who are only attracted to the same sex you know what this was not a choice this is how they were born but then as soon as you start bringing in bisexual or pansexual or queer and then you got transgender then it starts to become more of a then it's like then, then people think this is not my belief, yep. but now people are making choices. So right. it's like, okay, cool. So you're gay, you're, you're lesbian. Okay, you're bisexual. Okay, which one is it? And then it's like, well, you know what, you do, you don't like. Well, you know, you don't deserve to have those rights because mm. you're because you're choosing. Which is why, which is why gay, bisexual, lesbian, transgender, mental health is is you know is less of an issue because like you're bringing this on yourself. Mm -hmm. And I just talked to this about talked to this uh, to Felicity's parents about this after I read that book. Yeah. Uh, and it's when it's when it's when it seems like it's a choice, you get much less sympathy. Like you don't have a seat at the table if you chose to be that way. Like fighting for civil rights in the U.S. as a black person, okay, cool, yeah, you probably deserve to vote because you because you you didn't choose to be black. Or if or if you know somebody's a woman and they want to vote, yeah. okay, cool, maybe y'all should be able to vote. I will think about it. Okay, fine, because you didn't choose to be a woman. And just to illustrate that too, like. The Rachel Dolezal affair. Yeah, you goodness Rachel gracious. Dolezal, oh man, white woman who presented herself as a black woman and became <laughs> became um, <laughs> she's kind of transracial. So she became yeah. uh, an activist, uh, yeah. African American activist, and it was kind of later discovered that she was doing all sorts of cosmetic things to appear African American. Uh, oh man, there's up. a movie back in the. Late eighties and early nineties of it. Anyway, they could continue. <laughs> that white chicks or something. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. There was a that dude. He 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 applied for a black scholarship because he didn't think anyone was uh, was uh, and really. He, and he took all these tan. Oh man, you have to. He took all these oh, tanning pills. Yeah, I know. Wow. Oh, what was it called? Anyway, you have to look. But look that but it, but it raises like this legitimate question, right? Because as we we're saying before if we want to do away with this idea that these groups differ fundamentally in their biology, which is what many people who are critical of essentialist ideas say, yeah. then the only difference between different groups are social differences, how we've been raised. Right. And very true. so then Rachel Dolezal very could true. very well say, well, I identify as a black person. I grew up around black people. Yeah. How am I any less black than anybody else? True, and it's it's a really curly question. Very true. There's this there's this movie up that's it's called Blind Spotting, and it's it's this really interesting play on race and on like kind of like that uh, that essentialism. And you got this guy who 
uh, who was fair skinned. He he's he's definitely mixed. I don't know if he's like black and white or whatever his whatever whatever his makeup is. But you have him, who was born in, in Oakland, Oakland, California, and you have this white guy who's his really good friend, also born in Oakland, California. Baggy pants, like go like chains, like hats, bandanas, do rags, like all that. So 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 he does all of that, and these people are you know, and so and these two are friends, and then they go to this party, and there's a bunch. There's some of these black people there who. There's black people and white people there. And these black people are who you would stereotypically think would be black intellect. So they're woke. Um, they're at this party. You know, they, they're they not your, you know, they're they're not your stereotypical, like, Atlanta trap, like, like, Atlanta trap house black people. And so they're talking. And then the white guy comes in. He says something. He's like, oh, oh, never mind. I'm okay, bruh. And the black guy goes, oh, okay, bruh. And he gets offended by it. And long story short, that the this black guy and the white guy get in the, get in a fight, mm. and the other black guy, the biracial one, kind of comes and breaks it up. And I was watching it, and I'm thinking about, I'm like, okay, well, you know what? Who's who's more black? You know, is the is the is the black person who was born in Madison, Wisconsin, and went to UW and got a scholarship uh, to study economics, and then works for JP, you know, works for Goldman Sachs? Is he blacker? Or according to our, you know, our definition of black, or is the white guy who was born in Ellenwood in Atlanta, you know, Ellenwood suburb of Atlanta, and went to public schools and graduated from high school. Now he got three kids by three different baby mamas. Is he blacker? So it's so it's so it's kind of like you know playing on kind of playing on that. So it's it's that's fascinating. It's messy as shit, messy. man. Like it's messy, yeah. and that's kind of what I've my entire life. I've always been the white. I've always been the Oreo. Yeah, black right. on the outside, white on the inside. I've yeah, always been right. that. You, you talk white. You know, you like you you're like you're super proper. I went to Bucknell University, and since I graduated high school, I've only been around predominantly white people. Right. And I've I've always been self conscious about that. Always been self conscious about my race and trying to figure out how I can gain more credibility with, with the uh, with the black race because I'm like I don't want them to think I'm a sellout. Yep. And I've and I've I've str- I've, I've had that battle. I had that battle constantly up until honestly probably about three years ago. Then I was like, "Fuck it!" I was like, "I am who I am." You know what I mean? And I'm like, "I'm not any less black than you." But I know exactly where I'm from. I know exactly where I was born. I know exactly where I was raised. I know exactly who my friends are. They know who I am. And it's like, look, you can't like you can't win them all. Right. And I stopped kind of playing the game where I was comparing to this and that. And so it's I can imagine those things being even more amplified. When you are someone who it's it's not necessarily about that big category of race, but it's like that sexuality, mm. and you are you, you're constantly trying to figure out, okay, well, shit, like I'm, uh, it was kind of in, in that study we did, you know, about yeah. uh, about bisexual versus gay mental health, kind of like being like being able to mask uh, my my homosexuality in these circumstances, and so I can appear as a straight man here. But then when I'm with these people, I can appear as a gay man here, mm. which is why those mental health outcomes weren't, you know, didn't align how we thought they were going to. That was that was a fascinating finding. So Marlon presented at this social psychology conference in Sydney earlier this year, this data on the mental health of gay and bisexual men. There'd been all this data in the past showing that bias were doing worse. But this study kind of found these complex findings. Yeah, it was it basically it, it found that we we were expecting bisexual men to do worse off than homosexual men in terms of mental health. But what actually happened is bisexual men were, were ended up faring better 
And we, we definitely thought it was because as a bisexual man, you can be straight when you need to, or mm. you still, or you, you still have that, you, like, you still have that straight card in your pocket, I guess. Like, oh yeah, like I got, like, I got pictures, I got pictures with a girlfriend on, you know, on my Instagram, you know, so people are like, oh, okay. And so I fare better because I'm not constantly under, under the eye and like, I'm not constantly being like, oh, okay, you're gay, gay, gay. You know what I mean? Mm. Why do you think, this would be our, la our last question, uh, Gay, lesbian, bisexual people. Why, in in your in your own words, why do they have poor mental health? It's a really good question. Most of my research has been done within the minority stress hypothesis, mm -hmm. which kind of looks at social structures uh, and social factors like prejudice and discrimination, and how they can affect people's mental health outcomes. So the idea is basically that your social environment can be a source of stress. Uh, if, for instance, you're going to be reliably um, stigmatized, if you walk down the street holding your same-sex partner's hand, you're going to register that in your health. Uh, if you feel that in going for a job, you're going to be rejected or discriminated against in some way because of your sexual orientation, it's going to affect your mental health. And these things kind of can have a cumulative effect. Mm -hmm. So over the life course, the argument would be, on average, gay and lesbian people experience more of certain types of stresses those specific to sexual orientation uh, than the rest of the population. They share the same stresses as the general population, but they have these additional ones. And at a population level, that means they're going to be more susceptible to depression and anxiety um, than you might see in the general population. Mm. And so I think that's a pretty good explanation. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know if it's perfect. And um, you know, I am interested in what the cause is. Um, mm -hmm. And... There has been some research put out by thoughtful people, um, including Rich Savin-Williams' lab. Yep. So he's a Cornell professor, um, gay guy himself, um, which argues, should we, expect, should we be expecting that gay men and heterosexual men will have the same mental health outcomes, all things being equal? And he argues, perhaps not. And he says, perhaps not, because we know that gay men, for biological reasons, are more feminine than straight men on a whole bunch of measures from occupational interests to speech and mannerisms. Mm. Gay men are more feminine. We also know that there's a sex difference between men and women in certain types of mental health problems. Women are more likely to have anxiety and depression than men. Again, there are biological arguments for that to say that you know, women for various reasons have to be more hyper-attuned to social stresses in their environment because they're more vulnerable uh, physically. And therefore, that's one of the contributors to the differences in mental health between men and women. So what Rich is arguing then is that maybe gay men have mental health outcomes that are more similar to women than men. And he actually did an analysis where he compared gay men to straight women and found that they didn't differ. So I don't know if I buy the argument, but I at least see it as something that needs to be taken into account. It poses the question, should we expect that gay men and straight men will have exactly the same mental health outcomes, given we know that gay men and straight men do differ right. in some pretty important ways? Right. Um, when it comes to bisexuals, now it gets really, really controversial and difficult mm -hmm. um, because we do know that there does seem to be quite negative attitudes towards bisexuals. So most surveys that look at attitudes towards gays, lesbians and bisexuals find that in the general public, people like bisexuals the least. 
They particularly dislike bisexual men. <laughs> and so fucked up, it's not it? only <laughs> heterosexuals that don't like bisexuals, it's gays and lesbians. Yeah. So you could imagine that the social stress, or you could at least argue that the social stress, the social stress experienced by bisexuals might be worse than that experienced by gays and lesbians. And that might mean that they have even worse mental health outcomes. And I think there's some truth to that. Uh, but again, I think it's more complex than that. That's because uh, everyone thinks bisexuals are having their cake and eating it too. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, seriously, that's why. That's why. That's why. That's why the homosexual community is uh, kind of you know uh, you know cast them out, and that's why the heterosexual community does because because both parties are like, well, are you with us or are you not? Mm. And then and so they and so they're getting it from both sides. Exactly. So if there's, if there's, <laughs> if there's, in more there's, weight than one. And more. <laughs> 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 so like if, if there's some comparisons between females and 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 gay and lesbian mental health, then mm. wouldn't there just be to me, even though I hate describing females as a minority, but across all minorities, wouldn't all minority uh, groups have a higher, yeah. a higher incidence of mental health issues across the board? And that's a great point, which is to say... Because they've been marginalised, exactly. essentially? That, that's the difficult point with Rich Savin Williams' analysis, which is it requires us to also believe that we can... Um, There's so many, measure, so many measurables, right? There's, There's so, so many like variables. How do, how, how do you... Uh, I'd put it this way. I, I think it's safe to say that the effect of biology, sex chromosomes, on mental health outcomes in men and women is greater than zero. So there's some effect of biology. It's just not clear how big it is. Right. Uh, and see, if it explains even 10 or 20%, that could explain, on average, differences in the population between men and women. Mm. Now, I suspect it, it might be in that order. It might be larger. It might be less. It might be that social factors have much more of an effect uh, than any biological factors do. But we don't quite know at this point. Right. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, the buy thing, that, that's, that's, a, that's a thorny one. And as Marl and I have talked about a lot, one of the problems is that bisexuals are this very mixed group. We talk about them like they're one thing. Right. But there's many different types of people that call themselves bisexual. And they might have very characteristic challenges. Um, you know, we, we talked, I think, earlier today about gay men who identify as bisexual, usually in their adolescence, before fully coming out. Right. Now, the reason that right. group might be doing worse is because they're still struggling with their homosexuality, mm. right? So to attribute the poorer well-being in that group of bisexuals to biphobia might be inappropriate. They're struggling with internalised homophobia. That's mm -hmm. the real cause of their suffering. But then you have other bisexual men who will be suffering for bi because of biphobia, and we didn't get to it, but um, quite a lot of autogynophilic men, men sexually aroused by the idea of being women, identify as bisexual in want of a better term to describe themselves. All they know is, I like to dress up in women's clothing. Oh, okay. Sometimes yeah, I'll have that. sex with men, but only when I'm dressed up as a woman and I don't have any other term, I'm bisexual. Now, that group are going to have stresses for an entirely different bunch of reasons, yeah. right? Sheesh. Because they're like... It's messy, it's yeah, messy, it's, it's messy, 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 messy. So I think... Anyway, there's no simple answer, but I think I think a good rule of thumb is the kinder we can be to different people, the, uh, yeah. the better. That's the, <laughs> that's that's, a, that's yeah. it. Yeah, let's give everyone a break, man. man. Just like everyone's different I, I, in a whole lot of different ways. Just fucking give it a break. Don't, yeah. they don't need to. Yeah. They don't need to vilify anyone. It's quite much. Differences, hey? Like it's quite interesting. I think. 
like when we can finally add a autogynophile to the LGBT rainbow, I think we'll be that much richer. And I think the more of these experiences get light shone on them. Right. That's great. Like Man, all these new subcultures that are going to come into existence. You summed it up so well. If we mm. can just, if we can just find a way to be a little kinder to, to each other, I think that would be, I, I, I mean, we, we, we would be in so much better of a place. Alana, you got any closing thoughts, bro? Closing thoughts. I, yeah, just adding on from it, I just think it's about spending time with different people and understanding different people, and then you're not going to uh, because it all it's all fear based, right? It yeah, all, it all comes. It all stems from fear. Definitely, people don't understand. People fear things they don't understand. That's that's yeah. you know, that's an old adage, but it's so true. If you spend more it's time very with true. people and try to get understand them, and hopefully. Whoever's listening to this got a little bit more information about how 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 people are, are built and how they and uh, you know they took a little step towards more people understanding other people. Definitely. What about you, James? Any closing thoughts? I think the kindness one too. And one thing I'll say is that I think a lot of the way in which we talk about LGBT type people is often framed being aware of the fact that there are these kind of conservative voices out there. And I think uh, sometimes that can kind of restrict how people can express themselves. So, for instance, the reason gays and lesbians often throw bisexuals under the bus is for fear that by including them in the group, they'll become a bigger target from conservatives. Right, <laughs> and so, right. And so it'd be lovely if we could talk about ourselves and our sexuality without always looking over our shoulder at those groups. And that yeah. requires both that you know, people who are being unkind step back a bit and examine themselves, but also that maybe we become a bit braver and just say, well, let's be who we are right. apologetically. Absolutely. And, uh, and uh, only good can come from kind of being honest. And being kind to yourself. Yeah, being kind to yourself. Yeah, true. being kind to yourself. And as, as you say, not just external, externally, but within those groups, between those groups. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. that's something that's not always talked about. The exactly. bitchiness and the, and the shit that goes gets <sighs> thrown between... The L's and the B's and the G's and the T's, like oh, yeah, you it's know, terrible. it's it's and just that's right. Humans are humans, and minority groups have all the same foibles as dominant majority groups. Mm, <laughs> just true. as tribal, true, true, true. Just as yeah. So those things, yeah, we all need to be mindful of those dynamics in ourselves and be kind to one another. True. true, yeah. I don't. I guess my. I mean, my my only thing is to everybody listening is I think it's really important. Just like you, you spoke about kindness. You know, we're, we're kind of all, you know, we're all part of the same cloth. I think it's important to just remember, like, what what tolerance actually is. And in that book, you know, Born This Way, written by that, that uh, you know, religious guy, he talked about how tolerance has changed definitions. Like, before tolerance was, Alani has one view, James has one view, Marlon has one view. And that's okay because I'm tolerant of the fact that we all have those different views and that there's an absolute truth we're all searching for or we're all seeking. But what tolerance has become now is actually intolerance. I have a view and you have a view. But if your view is different from mine, I'm going to shove my view down your throat. And if you don't take it and embrace it and actively, actively accept it, then you're intolerant. Mm. You know, so I think tolerance today is and that's why people are so turned off by social justice warriors, because it's like. Uh, I, I really hope Rachel's listening, but it's like if if you're a vegan, oh, okay, you got to tell me you're a vegan, and then you got to tell me why it's so bad that I'm that I'm not a vegan, and you got to shove this down my throat, and you become intolerant of everyone else and whatever they're doing. Mm -hmm. And it's not just vegans, you know. It's obvious, you know, it's LGBT community, it's CrossFitters, it, it's you know, it, it's everybody. So I think it's important to understand that you can have a view, 
and somebody else can have a view. Oh yeah. And you both are you both are tolerant of the fact that you guys have different views and that you're seeking an objective truth. You know, and that's what it, I think that uh, plays that goes hand in hand with just being being a little kinder to to everyone, including yourself. I mean, I think a hundred percent what you said there. You articulated it so well. Exactly. Uh, peeps. So look, we've been going at it for about an hour and a half already. That was a really fast hour and a half. Mm. Uh, James, seriously, thank you so much for coming. Thank to you. Like this you. Was, I, 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 it was a real great chat. Thank you. Yeah, really good chat. I'm really excited to get this out to the people. Uh, really good having my partner in crime back. Let's go ahead and put his theme song on because, you know, he's he's here and, you know, I'm just, <laughs> I'm so glad he's here. So, so glad he's back. <laughs> Cheers, brother. <laughs> so glad he's back in the mix. Uh, until next time, peeps, that's us. And we will see y'all next time on the That's Racist podcast. You're. You.